Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. At his death, the Lord Jesus cried out, It is finished. Meaning that the debt for man's sin has been paid. You can't add anything to it. It's over with. It's finished. It's sufficient. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 10, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That ought to help all of you who have come out of the Roman Catholic Church who struggle with, is there anything necessary for me to do? You've been inundated with that. You've been taught that. You've been told that. No, it is once and for all the death of Christ. suffering, which only comes to those who are not self-centered. If we are self-centered, we think only of ourselves, and we think that we have rights and we deserve better. Life for a Christian is not about being happy. It's about obedience to the will of God. This is Verse by Verse, a radio broadcast that carefully examines the Word of God. Pastor Steve Kreloff, our teacher, will be here very shortly to continue with our series that is titled, The Incomparable Christ, taken from Colossians chapter 1. With that, we are now ready to dive in with headlong and reckless abandon into today's broadcast. Joy in suffering only comes to those who are not self-centered. Paul said, I'm willing to be spent. I'm willing to die if only for the sake of the elect. When you're self-centered, you think, obviously, of only yourselves. And you think that you have rights and you deserve better. But someone who rejoices in suffering, if you want to rejoice in suffering, you must understand that you have no rights. You have no claim to great circumstances. Life is not, for a Christian, is not about being happy. It's not about having that warm feeling we call peace. It's about obedience to the will of God And if it involves suffering, and it does, then you ought to do it. You need to be willing. Your motto should be, Lord, anywhere, anytime, under any inconvenience for your sake. So Paul suffered for the sake of the church. But why? Why did he suffer so much? Why does someone have to suffer for the church? Why does someone suffer for the cause of Christ? Let's go back to Colossians chapter 1, because he goes on to explain 
He doesn't just say I'm suffering. He gives some theology behind that suffering, why he's suffering. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And he goes on to say, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, he explains it's the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, I'm interested in that last phrase. Look at that, how he ends verse 24. In filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What did Paul mean by that? What could possibly be lacking in the afflictions of Jesus Christ? I thought his death for us was sufficient. And before I tell you what Paul meant, let me tell you what he didn't mean. This is helpful for you. The Roman Catholic Church, you know how they interpret this phrase? The Roman Catholic Church interprets this phrase to mean that Christians must suffer in purgatory. You wonder where they get purgatory from. Part of the answer is they think it's this verse. They say that Christians must suffer in purgatory when they die because Christ's sufferings on the cross were not enough. They were not sufficient to cleanse us of all sin. There's got to be a part that you play. And so when you die, you have to suffer a little bit in purgatory and hopefully the cleansing will be sufficient. Now, how do we know that that is not what this verse is saying? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, it's just using your common sense and taking the Bible in context. Paul has just taught them what? That is the sufficient work of Christ that has just reconciled them to God. He's just spoken about that in verses 21 and 22. Let me read that to you again. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He's just told them that the death of Christ brought about peace between you and God, that it was sufficient to turn your hostility into holiness He's not about to turn around and contradict himself two verses later. I mean, that's just common sense. That's number one. Number two, at his death, the Lord Jesus cried out, it is finished. Meaning that the debt for man's sin has been paid. You can't add anything to it. It's over with. It's finished. It's sufficient. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 10, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That ought to help all of you who have come out of the Roman Catholic Church who struggle with, is there anything necessary for me to do? You've been inundated with that. You've been taught that. You've been told that. No, it is once and for all the death of Christ. The wafers they might give on Sunday morning can never deal with sin. And certainly this passage is not teaching about purgatory because it is finished. The work of Christ is finished. Number three, the third reason you know this can't be talking about purgatory is the Bible never mentions a place called purgatory, never mentions a place like purgatory, even if it had another name for it. It mentions two places after we die, heaven and hell. The writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 9.27, for it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. No intermediate place. The judgment. 
And number four, and I think this ought to just seal everything, the Greek word that's translated affliction is never used anywhere in the New Testament to speak of the death sufferings of Christ, to speak of his sacrificial sufferings. There's an entirely different word that's used. This word simply means the pressures of life, tribulations, what we would call trials, never used to speak of the sacrificial sufferings of Christ. Never. So we know what Paul did not mean. He didn't mean purgatory. What did he mean, though, when he spoke of the end of verse 24, filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Let me explain. The sufferings that Paul referred to are sufferings that were intended for the Lord Jesus. You see, this world still hates Christ. Paul just said that the world is at enmity with God. Unbelievers hate Jesus Christ. Jesus said, since the world hates me, understand that it's going to hate you. And oftentimes we hear people say, well, what would it be like if Jesus came back again and offered his ministry? And I'll tell you what it'd be like. The world would put him on the cross again or whatever method they would use to kill him. It wouldn't receive him any better the second time if he started all over again. You see, the world has never had a change of heart. And so they hate Christ. They despise him. And you know what? They're frustrated because they hate him and the holiness that he offers and speaks of but they can't get at him. Physically, they can't do anything to him. You know why? Because he's not here. He's in heaven. He's beyond their reach. They'd still like to hurt him if they could. So guess who they come after? Us, the body of Christ. They beat on us. In other words, whatever Paul suffered as a Christian, he suffered affliction that was intended for Jesus. That's what he means. Because the world's not through beating on Christ. So they beat on us. And that's what Jesus meant when he spoke about it in John 15, verse 18, which the world hates you, know that it hated me. And the word is not if, as if to say it might hate you since the world hates you. Hates you because it hated me. Look at Galatians 6.17. It just gives one more reference to this whole thing. Galatians 6.17, Paul said, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. These marks branded Paul as one who is committed to Jesus Christ because he took his blows for Christ. Paul wasn't saying he could die in Christ's place. He was just saying the blows that were intended for Jesus have fallen upon him. When a Christian suffers, Jesus suffers. That's right. We know that from a number of verses, but one in particular, Acts 9-4. Remember when Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, was on the road to Damascus and he was there to harm and to throw in prison and to kill Christians. The Lord stopped him on the road and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. He wasn't saying, why are you persecuting them? Why are you persecuting me? And Jesus will say to those tribulation people, as you have done to the least of these people, these believers, you've done to me. What the body of Christ suffers, what you suffer for the cause of Christ is what Christ suffers. That's just the way it is. Now listen, this is the fellowship of his sufferings that Paul was referring to in Philippians 3. Whenever you suffer for Christ's sake, you can rejoice. You're doing it for Christ's sake, but you're also doing it for his sake in the sense of the sake of the church. In the sense of ministering to the church for Jesus Christ, you're going to take the blows. It may not be physical, but it's going to be blows that you're going to take, whether it be emotional or any other way. Now, let me just give you very briefly some reasons why you can rejoice when you suffer for the sake of Christ and his church. And we'll go into this in much detail. But number one, because 
through suffering, you get to know Christ better. The fellowship of his sufferings. It's through sufferings you get to in your heart and mind say, Lord, now I know a little bit about what you went through. Not on the cross, but in suffering with sinful man. You get to know Christ better. You get to understand more about him. Number two, when you suffer, you get to draw close to him. You realize that in and of yourself, you're not sufficient and you draw close to him. And the Bible says God is a very present help in time of trouble. It's when we have trouble that we stop and we say, Lord, I only need you. Nobody else can minister to me like this. Let me draw close to you and you'll draw close to me. We're comforted by Christ when we're suffering. We know this in a very special way. We're comforted because Second Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 5, just listen to this. Paul said, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. If you suffer for the Lord Jesus, be assured that he's going to comfort you in a very special way. Number three, when we suffer for Christ, he develops our character. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 5 that tribulation develops character and it brings about great perseverance and character and character brings about hope because it brings assurance to our hearts that we really belong to him. Because if you didn't belong to him, you'd say, I'm out of here. I didn't get into this to suffer. But a true Christian doesn't retreat. A true Christian says, Lord, whatever you want. Now, we may have struggles with it, but we've eventually come to that point where we say, even so, Lord Jesus, do whatever you have to do. All things work together for good because all things make us conform to the image of Christ. Number four, when you suffer, you have a special sense of God's presence. Did you know that? First Peter chapter four, verse 14 says this, and this ought to warm your hearts and encourage you. First Peter chapter four, verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of Christ rests upon you. There is a special sense of God's presence when you suffer. And number five, when you suffer, you can be encouraged because your suffering is not in vain. There are eternal rewards for those who suffer. James chapter one reveals that. James chapter one, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Those who love him to the point that they'll suffer for him under trials are those who are going to get the crown of life. Some reward that God gives. How have you suffered for Christ lately? You say, well, how do I suffer? Do I go out looking for trouble? No, no. Some of us do that. We suffer because we're obnoxious not for the cause of Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12 says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Just live godly in Christ Jesus. It'll come to you. You don't need to invite it. It'll come to you. Don't be self-righteous in your suffering either. Some of us really suffer because of all kinds of irritating things we do to people. But that's not what we're talking about. You live godly and do things for the sake of God's people and you'll suffer. So why was life so hard for Paul? And why should it be hard for us? Because Paul suffered for the church. How about you? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to look at this church in a different light and say, I need to be active. I need to be involved. And if it costs me time and money and inconvenience and sleep, if it means going to bed late and getting up early and doing that, I ought to do it because that's what the New Testament teaches the second reason we want to just scratch the surface now. Paul suffered for the church, but also the second reason why life was so hard for Paul was that he served the church. He suffered because he served the church. Verse 25, of this church, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit 
that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. If the false teachers at Colossae want to know how Paul could possibly be in prison if his message was from God, then Paul responds by telling them that he's in prison because God has called him to preach a message to Gentiles that got him into a lot of trouble. Paul states at the beginning of verse 25 that God has made him a minister, a minister to the church. And he states at the end of verse 25 that his ministry or service to the church was in the area of preaching the word of God. The main thought of verse 25 is that God has made him a minister, which means a servant, a diakonos. We get our Greek word deacon from that. He's a servant. Paul never volunteered for it. Paul never said, oh, Lord, me, I'm here. I want to do this. This is my life's work. He never volunteered for it. He never applied to a pulpit search committee. He was literally on the road to Damascus, not only converted, but he was made at that point a minister to the church by Jesus Christ. The very church that Paul was once intent on destroying, God called him to serve. And he said in that commission, he said, I'm going to send you before kings, before Jewish people, before Gentile people. He was commissioned at that point. Now, it was this service to the church that got him in all kinds of trouble. He suffered for this service. It caused riots in cities. You read the book of Acts. seems like everywhere Paul went, there was a problem. He caused a riot. There was physical pain. In one place, he was left for dead. They were disgusted at Paul. There were government hassles thrown in prison. Then why did Paul continue to serve the church? Why did he do this? Was he a glutton for punishment? Did he say, I like this stuff. It eases my conscience. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel worthwhile. No, no. Let's read verse 25 again. I'll emphasize why. Of this church, I was made a minister. Watch this. This is why. According to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. That's the key thought here. His service to the church was a stewardship from God. Now, if you use the King James Version, it says the word dispensation, and that may be a little confusing. The Greek word means to manage a household. That's what it means. That's all it means, to manage a household. In other words, Paul's ministry to the church was a task assigned to him by the owner of the church. The church is called the household of God in 1 Timothy 3.15. That's all he's saying. God appointed me the task of taking care of his church, of ministering and strengthening, and I did it. I endured all of this to benefit God's people as I served the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm sure you've been asked this before by me because I know I've taught this. What service are you rendering for Christ's church? What do you do? Some of you are extremely active in this church, and others just think that this is a place to come on Sunday and hear the Bible taught. That's not what the New Testament teaches about a church. The New Testament teaches that the church is a body, an active body. God has given you spiritual gifts. And many years ago, a whole lot was made about spiritual gifts. We don't hear as much today. What we do hear today are distortions, I think, about spiritual gifts. But God has given you gifts. And I don't think he's just given one gift to one person. I think he's probably given a combination of gifts in varying degrees. And it's next to impossible to get a precise handle on your gift. I wouldn't even be concerned about getting a precise handle on it. But you could have gifts of teaching and helping and mercy and administration and things of that nature. But the issue is, are you using them to serve the body of Christ? You see, here's the key so that you don't think, well, he's just meddling, he's just nagging. 
He's just telling us to get in service because he pastors his church and they've got coals to fill and areas. No, that's not why. See, the reason I think we don't take service seriously is because we don't see our service as being a steward of God. We see it, for example, if there are needs to fill in Christian education for a teacher, we see, oh, they got to have somebody there, so I'm going to do it. No, that's not why we want you to do it. That's not the primary reason. The reason is because you are a steward from God. Now, you may not have been as dramatically converted as Paul in the sense of the drama on the road to Damascus and a light that is shown around you and commissioned to a task, but you have just as soundly been converted, if you know Christ, as Paul was, and you have just as soundly and clearly been given a ministry. The Bible teaches that. It is a steward of God that you are. Let me just show you why this elevates your service. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, see, you need to see this or else ministry could become a burden to you, just something that you feel like you have to do. But it's not that at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. You know what motivated Paul? Not because he liked everybody in the church. There are probably people who he didn't like. But because he realized he was a steward of God, and when you realize you're a steward of God, that will promote faithfulness, integrity, all of those character qualities, because you're not doing it for yourself. You're a steward. You've been assigned the task. Then look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is just consistent with other scriptures. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul said, I didn't volunteer. I can't do anything but this. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul's not saying he didn't want to do this. He's just saying that God called him to this. And he's a steward of it, and he's compelled to do this. He is driven to do this. And you want to have that same thing in your ministry. You ought to have a ministry, because you're a steward. And the owner of the church has blessed you with some gifts, and you ought to use it. That is the master's plan, and that is the master plan. And that's why Paul served the church, and that's why we serve the church. You see, to many people... When they come to a church, this is what's paramount on their minds. They think, what has this church got to offer me? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. Your biblical question, your biblical response should be, what do I have to offer this church? Where can I serve? Where can I sacrifice? Where can I lay down my life for this ministry? If I believe this church preaches the word of God and I believe that the leadership are men of integrity, then if this is the place for me, then where can I serve? Oh, they have weaknesses? Every church does. You get in there and you serve. Maybe we have weaknesses because you ought to be active, and you're not. we got a few people doing a lot of things, and it weakens the whole body in ministry because some of you are just sitting and doing nothing. Now, two practical truths stand out in my mind about verse 25 in the stewardship and service. Number one is that you do have a gift, and you are to use that gift. I'm talking about whatever age you are, whether you're a young person, your attitude should not be, what does the youth have for me? Your attitude should be, if I'm part of this church, it isn't just mom and dad's church, where should I serve? If you're someone who is older and you've already served in many places, you never retire from the Lord's service. Your attitude should be, what can I do? Not what can I get out of this place socially? 
How can I serve? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us there are no age limits on this. And by the way, everybody in between ought to be serving too. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. You are called. You are gifted. If you know Christ, you are gifted. And the question may be, well, how do you know where you should serve? After all, this is a pretty large body of believers. How do you know where you should serve? It's the same for all of us. Two things. Number one, desire. Where do you want to serve? Where do you have a desire to serve? Unfortunately, many people, when they come to a church, their main thought is, what does this church have to offer me? That is the wrong question. A biblical question should be, what do I have to offer this church? Where can I serve? Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you would like more information about Lakeside Community Chapel, please visit lakesidechapel.com. Just as we were ending today's verse-by-verse broadcast, Pastor Steve said there were two practical truths in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. The first was our gifting and a desire to use that in service in our church. The second one, well, that's coming in our next verse-by-verse broadcast, so I invite you to join us then. 